Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Scott, pal, buddy, what's up? How are you? Good. And fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Villafaña, how are you? Good. How's it going? I'm really good. Thank you. Coming up on the show today, we're going to run through some quick updates about stories we've been following from parks and libraries to local housing and the Housing Commission, which has had a little bit of a tough year. And speaking of housing costs, there was something interesting in the population data that came out with the census results. Black residents have been leaving southeastern San Diego, and we're going to explore why. As folks are being squeezed out of their neighborhoods, some of them fear they're losing representation at the same time. We'll talk about a story from our Maestri Krishnan. And that all ties back into the question of redistricting. We're starting to get a better picture of the political landscape for the city of San Diego for the next 10 years. We'll try to tell you where we're at before it changes again. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, I wanted to, to clear something up for the people out there, all the fans. There's... There's uh, th- there's a palm tree controversy in Ocean Beach. Have you heard about this? No. You haven't? No. I just, oh. I just thought you brought that up randomly that you hated palm trees. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Don't steal my thunder. Okay, sorry. Uh, no, there's... So, you know how the OB is on a hill and that goes into the village kind of. Yes. So, uh, on the top of the hill on Newport Avenue, there's some really tall palm trees, okay? Uh, the FAA and the airport... Uh, contacted the city and said, hey, we do our annual study about how these trees and other structures might affect our navigation systems, and you need to take these trees down from off the hill. Uh, And so the city alerted the homeowners of the area. The city controls the lands where those those trees are, those rights of way, as you were, Mm -hmm. and said, we're going to cut these trees down. There has been a lot of kind of what you might expect, Ocean Beach angst about this. There was even a story in the, did you see this, in the NBC that said, is Ocean Beach even Ocean Beach? 
without these palm trees without these specific palm trees I, yeah i mean if we were to shut down the the drum circle and take out these palm trees isn't it just pb now <laughs> <laughs> with planes yeah. first of all I, I you know look i don't have anything particularly uh, any particular beef with those palm trees but i decided to jump in and say like i hate palm trees uh, they start on <laughs> they they're easily ignitable they start on fire very easily any fire that occurs around palm trees, well, they're like matchsticks. They use too much water. They don't provide any shade, and they make a mess. And those fronds can hurt, and they're pain. I don't like palm trees. This city is committed to uh, a climate action plan that requires that trees are a big part of it, right? Like a billion trees or something? <laughs> I don't think it's that big, but there are a lot of trees that are envisioned to be planted as part of the... And it, it, the idea is that... Solid urban tree canopy lowers the temperature in urban environments in in a city, and palm trees don't really do much of that. Well, and and they've done tons of studies that richer neighborhoods have lots of trees. It's a lot cooler. It's a lot nicer. Mm -hmm. So the city said, "Look, we're going to take those trees down, but we're going to replace them with shade trees. It's going to be all right." So I, I decided to buttress this point. Like, you should be stoked. You get a new free shade tree. Congratulations. They asked me about it on sports radio, which I do every week for mm -hmm. some reason. And <laughs> they let me on. And uh, I, I made the point. And people went nuts, man. Like a guy in OB says, let's just cut down all the trees. Why don't we? None of them are native. That would solve your problem, the bird problem, whatever other problem you have with nature. Another guy said like, oh, stupid lib, you're going to get your, your nose sunburned because <laughs> of the, there's no shade. Put up a, a, a. Can they decide whether this is you being a conservative maniac or a liberal maniac? Yeah, because it seems like you're getting it from both sides here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just to be clear, yeah, they should plant shade trees, and uh, we should put a moratorium on all future palm trees <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> Again, why we should be in charge of things? <laughs> Absolutely, right? Now, but you're a um, palm tree fan. I think they look pretty, but I'm okay if they take them away. I mean, they okay. have. They look nice in music videos. <laughs> but it's true. There can be, a, I would be opposed to a moratorium, but there, there can be a role for palm trees as long as we accept and concede their significant limitations relative to other trees. They are associated with and symbolic of a specific type of vision of California. Yeah. And it would be hasty to just sweep that into the dustbin of history. Mm. However, they do less for us on important things than other trees. And so all else equal for planting, we should defer to planting trees yeah. that are going to provide shade, that are going to use less water, that are going to uh, be more climate friendly, They're less flammable, less likely to drop fronds that kill somebody or hurt somebody or mm -hmm. damage property. However, to just, right. to just eliminate... An, an entire image of of San Diego and California. Again, I just want to I want to put a hasty. put a cap on it till we figure out what's going on. Oh, <laughs> we do some studies. Yeah, some working groups. <laughs> uh, and let's throw the eucalyptus in there too because they are very dangerous. Okay, we have several updates here to run through. I'm going to do this little rapid fire. Number one, Sunday, they are opening the new trolley line, the UC San Diego Blue Line. 
which was always called the UC San Diego Blue Line, but now it'll actually go to UC San Diego, which will be significantly less confusing for anybody else who was <laughs> who got U- to Old Town and they're like, well, I guess. Doesn't this go to UC San Diego? It was called the UC San Diego Blue Line. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's a good point. Yeah, so now you can actually Sunday make it to its its namesake. Uh, so there's a lot of people very excited about this, taking the, the, the preliminary rise to see how it looks. It's going to connect UTC, UC San Diego, all the way to Old Town and downtown. You can get downtown in 30 minutes or something. So they say. So they say. They say. It's a long ride. The Ballyhood point that this would provide a one-seat ride from the Tijuana border crossing all the way to UC San Diego is true, but that's going to be a long one-seat ride. That's a good— You better get comfortable. It's good an hour and a half, probably. Yeah. yeah. All right. So everybody's super excited about it, but there's a lot of parking lots along the way. Awful lot of parking lots. Not and a lot of smart growth quotes. No, a lot of surface parking lots that are surrounding the station, and then not a great deal of mixed-use development. There's some, but not a lot, and some is still planned and isn't going to be delivered for quite a while. So, yeah, after 30 years of planning this line and $2 billion spent building this line, we're going to have to to hold our breath and hope that... uh, all the other stuff that's supposed to go with this sort of uh, investment ever happens. And, and a lot of that is going to be necessary for people to actually ride it at the levels that it says it needs to make it worth it, right? And also 50% of it is going to be impossible to ever build because they built the line adjacent to a freeway and you can't build dense housing literally on a freeway. You can't. Well, no, because cars Just- need to drive 70 miles per hour there. It would be uncomfortable. So if you were to draw like a radius around every one of these trolley stations along this this trolley line that exists next to a freeway, uh-huh. you'd have to cut off half of that circle because that whole other side, that's a freeway. So you can't build any housing there. So you yeah. get, you know, half of your possible build area in the immediate adjacency to the trolley line is where you could actually build half. That's your starting point. That's the best case scenario if you build really aggressively, really dense, really tall. You get to do it in half of the land that you would hope to be able to build. That is what we came up with after 30 years of planning and knowing that we would spend $2 billion. And we haven't even started building on that half yet. So let me say that I'm not that excited to go tour the surface parking lots that they've built next to this $2 billion investment. Have you gone on it? I've no. I'd like to go on a ride with you there okay, and just like just, record you saying all these things. We will get a mic and make it happen. There, there's a media tour going on right now for people to who wanted to go see all the parking no, lots. No, we do It'd it. Be more we fun. do it with the people. Okay. All right. Yeah. With the people on the trolley. <laughs> Isn't this wild? Is, why is there not housing here? <laughs> uh, number two. This week, the advocates a bunch of advocates for city parks and libraries the library foundation the parks foundation which is kind of new got together and announced that they want to put a parcel tax on properties in the city of san diego to support parks and libraries not necessarily construction on them i believe mostly the services maintenance of them correct Mm -hmm. and so parcel tax remember is there's a little bit of difference parcel taxes are per parcel a fee they are not property taxes which they're on your property tax bill but they don't like grow and change the way property taxes do with the value or transfers of your home, right? Clear as day. Clear as day. Everyone knows what a parcel tax is. I remember they, they corrected me on my uh, 
uh, headline one time where I said it was a property tax. They're like, no, 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 it's a, it's a parcel tax. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Parcel tax. Got it. Different. So there are other taxes aiming for that ballot. We talked about the Sandag one. Are there, are there more? Maybe trash tax? Is something else? Stormwater fee was sales kicked around tax? at one point. It hasn't happened yet. Some Maybe some sort of generalized sales tax for other services. We'll see. That's for November 2022. We'll see if it catches any momentum on the city council. Number three. The Housing Commission. There was a meeting the other day, Andy. Yes, the city council acting as the housing authority. Which is another very simple concept that they have a completely different name sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's like a, a very funny thing. First, when you're a pop reporter and you're like, they, they say, we are, they gavel out the meeting and they say, then the, we're reconvening as the housing authority. No one gets up. No one moves. It's the same group of people. You have to look around and try to figure out what's going on. I actually had that moment. Did you? Yeah. yeah. I was like, what? What is happening? Okay, let me do a quick Google search. <laughs> <laughs> that is, the, I, I bet every new reporter has that experience yeah. <laughs> at some point. So the Housing Authority discussed in the most explicit terms yet that it will be pursuing some reforms of the San Diego Housing Commission. And this comes on the heels of two relatively significant controversies this year for the Housing Commission. One, conflict of interest, financial scandal around uh, its acquisition of one hotel that it turned into housing for formerly homeless people. Yeah, a guy that helped them buy that building just happened to have invested significantly, <laughs> significantly in the hotel that the city bought. And then, That's as it. and then as the housing commission was operating those hotels, two of them, uh, there were uh, ten people died, um, either found dead in their rooms or suffered injuries, and then later died in hotels. Um, so those two those two issues have risen to the point that the San Diego City Council is uh, actively pursuing reforms. They openly discussed the need to have a role reviewing and evaluating the CEO, who is currently Rick Gentry, though they didn't name him. Uh, and they also uh, revealed that already three city council members have sort of been working in a as like an ad hoc group trying to build out what would become a proposal for the reforms uh, and that was actually news to two members of the city council that this working group existed which is interesting i'm not exactly sure how that works but with only three people that uh, skirted any sort of brown act violation yeah so uh city council members four of them meeting is illegal three of them meeting it's fine yeah just Hang out. Right. Come up with some ideas. Mm -hmm. All right. That's our rapid fire. Thank you. Every 10 years, we get census data back. And this year, when we looked at it for San Diego, there were some pretty interesting things in it. One of them was that the population of black residents in San Diego seems to be moving east, or at least out of the city of San Diego. Our maestro Christian dug in. Andrea, you edited it. What did she find? She found that that was happening. Also, there was some testimonies about why it was happening and some worries about what that meant for their presence in local politics. Yeah, so so one thing of why that's happening, I think, is we're all feeling it, we're all seeing it as housing costs, right? People who have lived in those communities for years, their parents own homes there for years, uh, just can't afford to live there anymore. So they're kind of moving out of the community, going east, uh, La Mesa were, were some of the cities that people have gone to. And basically, 
you know, the, the community is changing in, in that sense. And those individuals still have really strong roots to District 4 because that's where their parents are or were and that's where they grew up. So in a sense, kind of like their work and advocacy life and community is still there. So, you know, they they don't live there, but they feel connection to that community. And likewise, they don't feel represented or seen in the current cities that they live in. The maps were pretty dramatic. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if you go back to 1990 and you, you see a steady march from the population from its historic area and just moving slowly east and south to a certain extent, Spring Valley, all of the communities that you would um, you know sort of imagine. But those aren't in the city. Those aren't in the city. And so there was a number of people who talked about how important organizing for the election of Councilwoman Monica Montgomery Step was, but that they didn't get to vote for her because they were no longer in the city. And uh, the, where they did get to vote, they don't feel any sort of political connection, which it, it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting description of of one implication of being displaced from an area. Yeah, one thing. I mean, I was glad she explored the story because I've been covering communities for a while, and every time I would be in southeastern San Diego uh, talking to different advocates and. It would really surprise me. I'd, I always ask people like, oh, what neighborhood you know do you live in? And then they would tell me Spring Valley or La Mesa and Lemon Grove. And I always thought that was kind of strange because I could tell that they had such you know connections to, to District 4, but they lived somewhere else. And I always thought that was weird and I just never explored it. And this is why. Yeah. So the story explored how some of them want to maybe recreate a new political community outside the city of San Diego within the county's own redistricting process. But it doesn't look very likely or how's that going to come well i think andre correct me if i'm wrong it seems like the starting point that the county is using for its maps now would at least to some degree create this new sort of empowerment district like to the extent that the city of san diego has for a long time had an empowerment district in district four and such a large percentage of that community has been forced out that they would essentially try to recreate that empowerment district at the county level yeah. And and that where we stand today, that seems plausible. Yeah, that, that's pretty much what what she said in their story. Yeah, so it, it it's it's interesting because it shows that like you know moving from one side of a jurisdictional line to another is to some degree like not impactful. You know, like you don't necessarily know when you're driving around that you've just driven across Shelltown into National City, right? The the, the there's not a, a barrier, right? Um, but you did move into a new political boundary at that point. And so if you move up from the city level to the county level, you take the sting out of that political boundary because a county's district map can encompass La Mesa and Lemon Grove and Spring Valley and District 4 and City Heights all at the same time and sort of group these communities together because they share some concerns and because people are being displaced from one to another. And while I'm sure it's still certainly significant to them that they'd rather stay in the community that, that their parents called home or that they grew up in than move, at the very least they can continue to vote in a, in a, in a way uh, that carries their representation through this area that they have ties to. I think that's that's true. 
But it's also distinct, right? Because as you can see in your podcast feed this week, we did an explanation of the difference between the county and the city for the latest episode of San Diego 101. Part of the thing is, is that the county and the city are very different entities. The, the, the city deals with cops, firefighters, parks, libraries. Uh, there's, uh, you know, streets and roads, what gets built, where that's, those are a big part of what it means to be involved in local politics, local public affairs. If you move to another city, you have to direct that attention for those things to that city, unless it's an unincorporated area, in which case it is at the county level. So that does make sense there, but the county deals with a lot more of the, the, the more health and human interest type of stories or issues. And so that is a much different sphere to be voicing on. It's certainly important, but it's different than the cops and the, the, the local land use issues that come up with those uh, city discussions. And so it, you still have to figure out what that community is for the one that you're in at that point. Yeah. And Andrea, that one of the other things Maya talked about was city heights being potentially grouped into this district and the essentially addition of African refugee communities into this historically dominant African-American population and acknowledging that they're different in, in important ways, but they have similar interests as well. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that could be seen as different is that refugees have, you know, different needs than maybe um, a black resident who grew up here in San Diego, right? You have their parents might have some kind of like language barrier or other needs as, as refugees, but the idea is that the the new generation, the the children that are born here in San Diego, might have similar obstacles and concerns as black residents in San Diego. So that's kind of like the idea of grouping them together. Yeah. Well, all of this revolves around the discussion about redistricting. So, Andy, I understand you spent several hours watching uh, a redistricting hearing last uh, weekend. Congrats. You did. A killer Saturday afternoon. Yeah. 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 Do, you, do you have the kids on your lap and they were asking you questions about it and all that? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we are rounding the corner. So just a reminder, every 10 years, we have to redraw the lines in every district, every whether it's the school districts or cities or congressional lines, all of these things redraw. A lot of us are paying a lot of attention to the city because it seems like things could shift a lot or could not. Now, they go into this with assumptions, Andy, about what they need to deal with, what they need to try to do, Right. And, and there's a lot of dilemmas that come up, uh, communities of interest being grouped together, split neighborhoods trying to be regrouped, that sort of thing, correct? Correct. Yeah, they, they sort of set out priorities that they recognize are going to be in conflict with one another to some extent, that every time you move too far in one direction, you're moving far away from another direction. And so there's this... Uh, Trade-offs. There's, yeah, it's just, Constant. but like, mul- you know, like multi-vector trade-offs going on. Uh, so they give this set of priorities to their mapping consultants and say, here's all the things we'd like you to try to keep in mind as you put together whatever your hypothetical map scenarios are. Yeah, now the districts don't have to be the exact same size, but they have to be within a certain percent. Within a, yeah, exactly. And so that means, because everybody's vote needs to matter the same amount, right? Precisely. And that's basically the part of redoing this after 10 years is, Populations don't necessarily change at the same rate in all ten districts over a full decade, and so one of the that's one of the things that's happened is District Four and District Eight 
the southernmost districts in San Diego County, the poorest districts, have gotten smaller, and the other districts have gotten bigger. And so, essentially, the whole you know those two districts have needed to grow northward in order to maintain the population level, and that is, I I would say, the driving force between the mapping exercise that we've been going. Okay. Through. All of the dilemmas that they were trying to grapple with, mm-hmm. almost all of them could be solved if you made one big change. So the districts as they are now have left the coast, La Jolla and Carmel Valley in one district, and Mission Beach, Pacific Beach, Ocean Beach, Point Loma in another district, right? Yeah, two strong coastal districts. All right. And if you unified both those districts— you can solve every other issue that the district, the commissioners are trying to deal with, right? Maybe not every issue, but you can solve a lot of issues, yes. Right. Yeah. But the coast doesn't want that because they can have a lot of influence on the process if they have two council members who have to listen to them. Think about something like short-term vacation rentals, which are an acute, I'd rather not. Yeah, an acute <laughs> salient issue on the coast. And very much an afterthought, basically, in the rest of the city. But because you've got two-ninths of the city council represented by communities that care about that a lot, it has stayed a very significant topic in city politics for a long time now. If that becomes the unfortunate burden of just one person, it becomes, I think, a lot easier for the city as a whole to say, eh, forget about it. Tough. Andre, there was something of an uprising, right, of, of people saying, like, please don't adopt the map that keeps the two coastal districts there. Unify all these other things. If you get rid of that, you can have one coastal district. You can figure out all these other things we've been dreaming about, about uh, more Asian-American empowerment areas. All, all these other neighborhoods that are all split up, they can be unified if that happens. They push hard, and they seem to get some traction for a little bit. Yeah, for a little bit. I mean, it was a coalition of like different groups that really want to, you know, bring more representation to minorities in San Diego and kind of like group them together to create these empowerment districts. And they came up with this map and, you know, it it seems like they kind of got support for it, but then went back to whatever we have. That we brings have us now. to the thing you watched. Yes, basically. So there were two things that were very familiar about this hearing. One was every housing proposal I've ever had the misfortune of watching happen at the city council where you have hours and hours of testimony and you end up always having incumbent homeowners describing in very veiled terms their concerns about what's going to happen if that housing is built. And in some cases, that this was actually said explicitly during this meeting that concerns about people coming in to their communities and uh, even invoking Projects like a low-income housing for senior citizen project in Claremont as the type of project that people didn't want and therefore they wanted this other map to be to to be adopted as a guard against that sort of action. So like housing politics featured very prominently in this uh, public comment discussion. The other thing that it was really reminiscent of was the discussions we heard in 2020, first at the budget at a budget hearing and then later at a city council president vote. Uh, where you had a a large, organized, and energized group of young people, people of color, and progressive people asking the city council, asking a city structure to do something. 
and then getting ignored. Mm-hmm. And that was very much on display on Saturday. You had a large group, large activist group that was well organized, that was calling in, that was voicing their concerns for a very specific map. And then when it came time to make a decision, it did not go their way. And it wasn't just them, though, right? Like the only Republican on the city council, Chris Kate, weighed in, too. Yep. Uh, Sean Elo Rivera weighed in. They, they said as city residents, uh, you know, wanted to say, like, hey, you should really listen to these folks. You know who called in to problematize that action? Who? Former city council president Sherry Leitner. Oh, really? Said the entire process has been has a cloud of suspicion over it because of Chris Kate's uh, involvement in public comment previously, just for having said something, yes, in public uh-huh. about it. Right. Okay. So, I think this reveals a certain bias in local politics that I think is really interesting. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on here from economic inequality and racism, all kinds of different aspects. But there is another thing that's really powerful, which is this antipathy to change, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like even people who might be on the commission, who might be very sympathetic to this point, are just deeply uncomfortable with change. Because wasn't that what they cited? They said, like, look, if this happened, this would change the political experience for too many people. That was exactly what, for instance, Ken Marlboro said. So Ken Marlboro is on the, on the redistricting commission. He's been a longtime CP uh, community planning group member in the Encanto area. He ran for county supervisor. Um, he's a black guy. He's a, a former firefighter, retired now. I, I have no doubt that he is sympathetic for many of the things that were being requested of this, of this mapping decision. But as he put it, he said, this map that the coalition of communities is pushing for would result in up to 500,000 city residents being in new political boundaries. And that's just too much change. So very explicitly saying, we're changing the status quo too much in this instance, so much so that I, I would revert to this other map. Is the commission tasked with making changes, but as little changes as possible? Then? Yes, that is that is like a specific instruction. That is, I mean, you know, they can do whatever they want, but that is one of their guardrails, essentially. It is to, is to minimize change to some extent. That is codified antipathy to change, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that. That is, and and if you have if you have something that needs to change, that is going to be hard to grapple with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it characterizes a lot of these discussions. Like it's just, there is a inherent inertia in how things are. And some of it's not necessarily fueled by whatever bad bigotry or something is involved. It's just that the way it is too, is just itself so powerful. Well, it's for instance, the budgeting decision that I just mentioned the city of San Diego doesn't do zero-based budgeting. Yeah, you know they budget off of the previous year's budget largely. You're not gonna, you don't come in with fresh eyes and say, well, what's you know let's reimagine the whole thing. What's the right amount of money to spend on this or that? You're just not going to deviate too far from whatever you spent the previous year unless you have some very specific reason to do so, and that's what. Uh, activists who wanted to cut police spending in 2020 ran up against when they tried to prevail upon the city council to make a pretty significant decision at that point. They they were unsuccessful. There was, a, a once again, a reversion to the status quo. I think you see this in so many different ways, too. Look, like the new mayor, he's from a completely different political party as the previous mayor. And yet 
He brought over a lot of the same staff mm-hmm. and he's continuing with a lot of the same policies as we've discussed about homelessness and, and other issues. Yeah, he's done a lot rhetorically to, to criticize the previous mayor and even rapped about it. <laughs> but he's, he's, it's in many ways still the same, right? It's still the same thing as a city goes. Yeah, I mean, pick your policy. If you have the same group of city staffers working on the same city policy, but the you know, the, the person at the top of the, the city who sits in the mayor's office wears a different color tie, how much change in that policy has, has there been? Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this area of San Diego. If you like this show, share it with a friend. We want to reach as many public affairs nerds as possible and continue to grow the show. Send them to vosd.org slash pod. That's vosd.org slash pod. Or you can post on social media and tag Voice of San Diego. I'm Scott Lewis, Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats and Andrea Lopez Villafaña are our managing editors. And this show is produced by Nate John. Our technician is the wonderful Adam Greenfield. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.